Welcome to the Didi and Latal Show. Advice, thoughts, and stories from a married couple on cybersecurity, technology, and life in general. Now here are your hosts, Didi and Latal. Hello and welcome to the Didi and Lital show. It's another week. I'm Lital. Hi, Didi. Hey, Lital. How's it going? Going well. How's it going? Clearly, the weather has read the calendar and monsoon season is over, it looks like. Hopefully, I'm not jinxing us. And now the temperatures have kind of gone down. And It's pretty surprising to me every year that August already feels chilly in the Boston area and like us coming from Israel knowing that August is hell. Yes. Uh, like nobody wants to stay around and August is actually... Awesome. Yeah, it also makes me a little bit sad because like day start, the day started to get shorter and I can feel that fall is coming. Hockey is coming. Hockey is coming. Oh, yeah. Uh, we already got the schedule for all the tournaments yes. for next season. We need to send the kids for Cape Cod tournament in November yeah. or something. Something yeah. like that. <laughs> and I think we never covered that Patrice Bergeron announced his retirement. We did not. Uh, what do you have to share about that? What's your thoughts? First, deep sigh. Deep, deep, deep sigh. I, I, I can say that I agree with my buddies Felger and Maz, even though I've been told that I quote them too much, that he is less than what Boston made him to be. But he is still amazing. It, the, the fact that he's notable at the age of Jonathan Taves. How old is he? For those that uh, are not following hockey, Bruins, and so. 37, 38, something like that. How many years he spent with the Bruins? 20, because he started at 18. Wow. He, okay. was, he was drafted at 18. He was a phenom. The, the team already very... Is, pardon me, he is 38 years old. Yep. Thank you. Thank you. He was a phenom. He overcame massive concussions. He changed the way he played because he used to be a very offensive-minded player and he changed to be the, basically the role model of the two-way forward in hockey. And I think for those of you that speak Yiddish, he's the definition of a mensch. That, that, that is, I think, the most important part about him is the fact that he is a mensch. And his personality, his character... The fact that everybody in the league thinks so highly of him kind of attests to his real value. Because a lot of us, when we watch games, we're very, very intrigued by the Pasternak's of the world and how they can do amazing things and score goals. But there's a lot of things that come before you score, and there's a whole bunch of stuff that needs to happen before you even touch the ice. And right now, everybody's talking about Brad Marchand as the heir apparent to being the captain, which for me is funny because I see this as somebody making Shorzy the captain. <laughs> so the, I know that he's also a great guy, but that, that's kind of where my mind's at. But I think when we talk about him, I think it's a very good segue to our main topic of systemic failures because he's the, the counterexample of that. He's the guy that builds a system that is... It's almost impossible to see off the ice, but when you pull him when you pull him off the team, I think it will change the culture significantly. I don't know if for good or bad, but it will. So that's okay. that's my very very long filibuster about the fact that Patrice Bergeron, who made at least ten of my years here in Boston a lot more enjoyable, especially scoring on the Leafs. I think. 
people in Toronto are probably celebrating. All righty. Let's go to our topic today. So you and I have been listening together to yep. awesome podcasts. It's by the New York Times and This American Life. It's called The Retrievals. Go check it out. Devastating story. Kind of like TLDRing it. It's a story about Yale. They have a fertility treatment clinic over there, which provides in vitro fertilization for any women that can afford it. Here in the U.S., it's usually not that covered by most health insurance. So it means a lot of money, a lot of effort that and, and emotional and physical pain that people go through. Personally, we have been through IVF. Twins were born through IVF in Israel, where it is subsidized by national health insurance. And the story is that hundreds of women undergo this egg retrieval process without actually being under anesthesia. They were told that they would be, but there was a nurse over there stealing fentanyl for over long period of time. It's debatable now for how long, but she replaced fentanyl with saline in hundreds of vials, if not thousands of vials over there. And hundreds of women undergone this treatment saying that they are under excruciating pain, were ignored, kept on going. And it's mind-blowing to think that this happened. Nobody noticed it. Nobody did anything for a long period of time until a real anesthesiologist came in and spotted that there was the a caps of those vials were not kind of like properly sealed, started looking, and then they started the investigation. They found out, and I don't want to ruin this. Go listen. It's a five-episode podcast. Really great. But we started talking at home of how this is related to a lot of things we see in, in companies. Yep. This big systemic failure of systems. Like when you say, how come WTF, how come in a prestigious organization that's supposed to have very capable employees for such a long time, things went so wrong in so many ways. The traffic signs were out there. People were complaining. There were clear complaints and still went on going and going and going for months, if not years. And how come? And let's talk about the equivalent. <laughs> so do we think there is equivalent in security, in tech, in general? I think security is very much a place. And we, we have brought a lot of metaphors from healthcare because, yes, it, it, it is the, the area that is probably has a lot of equivalence. But unfortunately, systemic failure is something engraved in a lot of organizations. I agree. I think this is where when you look at how Yale analyzed this, they said, oh, we had this lady Donna stealing the vials. We fixed the problem. Problem solved. Onwards and upwards. Yeah. We and have a fentanyl issue. Yeah. There's there is a, a drug addict. Yeah, exactly. She screwed it. And let's move on. 
Yes, that, that's kind of. We, we call it in in Israel. There is a saying in the army, "Gimel." How do you can you you can translate tra- it? You can translate it. It's it, basically making the corporal take the fall for everybody in in, in the in the basically the 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 guy that is the one that is that sits at the gate. He's the one to being let go, sit in prison, pay for everyone else's failures yep. when something goes so wrong. So this is systemic failure is something that. We need to think about this is kind of a, a little bit of the cultural difference. If you think about it, Israel, after the 73-year war, decided that you always have the 10th man. So if everybody agrees in the room, somebody needs to take the counterpoint and argue. There is an instituted division in the intelligence force that all the work is to always say the opposite. So yes. if the majority has a belief that... There's not going to be a war, for example. They need to come and say there is going to be a war and bring all the proofs that they have for that. And it's their job yeah. to always say the opposite. And it's, it's a role that was instituted after the failure of Israeli intelligence to see all the evidence they have for the war that is about to start. start. They completely ignored it. They dismissed it. They said it's only going to be um, drill. a drill. It's not going to be a war. And because of that, Israel was at the brink of existence. Yeah. And so the two things that I thought about when I heard this, this podcast, I was thinking of the 73-year the, the war, the Yom Kippur War, and the other thing, and the, the lack of challenging of systemic, and the fact that Donna was basically the... The, the straw that broke the camel back. Donna is the nurse. Yes. That was the addict. So what happens a lot of times in, I'll translate the, now this into the world of security. Let's say big company establishes, a new CISO comes in. Remember, Dima was here. Yeah, our previous episode. Exactly. Listen to it. Dima is always awesome. So he came in and explained that there's something called a transformational CISO. Somebody comes in and says, okay, we have a problem. Here's our business, here are our business goals. Here are our controls that we have in place to achieve those business goals. And we need to show a path of what the efforts that we're doing to achieve those business goals. So you have that transformational CISO, and he puts a lot of controls in place, a lot of controls in place. They'll start making mandates to say, for example, that... Access can only happen from managed devices, that everybody has to 2FA, and that something, something needs to happen, a million of these rulings. And suddenly everybody's life in the company becomes a little bit harder. It's harder to do something. It's expensive. And if we translate this to the podcasts of the retrievals, they chose to use an older method for anesthesia because a nurse can administer it versus paying an anesthesiologist. They didn't want to put controls in place to who has access to the drug because it meant a lot of bookkeeping, but also a lot of reporting. They didn't buy a machine that dispenses and... Even before the machine that dispenses, they didn't have a process. So they chose the option to avoid the FDA basically fining them for misuse by just under-reporting, which is an option. They, they chose the option of not reporting and doing less to avoid 
the, the rules. And it happens a lot of times in security as well. You say, if I don't at all have a security policy around this, I won't be in breach of policy when I do the SOC 2. Right. Remember when we had Stravish over, he said people report on their SOC 2. They, well, they, the minute you start reporting, you have issues. If you don't, report, whatever I don't see doesn't exist. Exactly. That, we saw this a lot of times when we deployed ORT. Is basically you saw the face of people saying, I don't actually want to see this. I'd rather not see this because now yeah, if I... Because legally now... Now you need to do something. Yeah. I, I don't want to see this. And this is kind of the example of what happens after you have the transformational CISO. You have somebody comes in that needs to run the business. And there's a continuous war of attrition on the CISO to say, eh, you know what? The CFO really doesn't like to work from a managed device. The managed devices, we all have Dell's. He wants a Mac. And look, he's so awesome. So let's give him a Mac. But we don't have any controls for Macs. So it doesn't matter. It's, this, it, it's, it's only one person. It's only one person. It's just the CFO. It all, he holds all the data for all the company. But what's the worst that can happen? And then slowly, slowly you have the erosion of these controls. Now the transformational CISO put a system in place that has probably some belt and suspenders. But eventually, you erode enough of those things out of the system that then the Donna comes in, takes a USB key from the parking lot, puts it in, and suddenly your whole organization is in ransomware mode. And it's that simple because those controls were put in place for a reason. And as you slowly, slowly erode them, or you neglect to understand where the threat landscape has changed, for example that transformational event has happened, like the fact that COVID hit, everybody started working from home, people started doing things, people started working from their kids' Chromebooks, you might have changed your, you might have changed your posture, mm -hmm. but you have not actually changed your policies to adhere them. You, you still check, like I was joking about this, that people were, were looking for our server rooms in a cloud-only company because that's the security policy. Part of the security posture assessment. checklist. Exactly. So, yeah. There is a server room. There is a server room. There, there is no server room in Tel Aviv, trust me. And by the way, that's kind of a little bit of the what happens when you think in a very dogmatic way. And I'm not saying this is bad when companies become more financially oriented. Actually, I prefer a company that's financially oriented because if they're truly financially oriented, then they do a real cost damage assessment of what does it mean to be breached. The GD and Latal show will return in a moment. The GD and Latal show is sponsored by ORT. In today's world, identities are the perimeter protecting the organization and are the most exploited vector by attackers. If your security teams are struggling to maintain control of identity management tools, ORT can help. ORT offers a centralized platform for discovering, monitoring, assessing, and remediating identity threats to your business. While most security platforms can take weeks or months to start identifying and remediating risks, with ORT, your security teams can get started in as little as 30 minutes and start securing the identity perimeter immediately. ORT will surface the most critical vulnerabilities and give your security teams the recommended action steps. Start your trial today at ORT.io. That's O-O-R-T dot I-O. 
The DD and Latal Show is sponsored by Hunters. Hunters is a SaaS platform purpose-built for security operation teams. Providing unlimited data ingestion and normalization at a predictable cost, Hunters helps SOC teams mitigate real threats faster and more reliably than SIM. Visit hunters.ai to learn more. Earlier this week or late last week, new rules that by the SEC that companies that are publicly traded will need to disclose substantial security incidents publicly. Yes. Is it four days after it happened? So there's, there's a couple of things yep. that are interesting there. So there's one that is boring, but, you know, I always love the boring part yep. because the boring part is where people will make money. Mm-hmm. And there's also the boring part, which is the thing that will sound the least intimidating to everybody, but will bring the most value. It means that at the end of year reporting, they need financial to, reporting, financial reporting. They yep. need there's an addendum that will come with the disclosures that discloses all the, the security business goals, all the cybersecurity business goals, and how you're putting the controls into play. I'd love to have somebody like Sravish come over on to the, this podcast to see, because my guess is now every one of the SOC 2 compliance companies... They will attach the reporting? They'll need to attach a report, and the structure of a report, of how you report your holistic security posture and your holistic security, cybersecurity kind of something towards those disclosures. And initially, nobody will look at them, but at some point in time, somebody in ACC will hire somebody like Amit Yoran, and they will take a look at this and say, okay, you're out of compliance, you're out of compliance, you're out of compliance, you don't know what you're doing, you don't know what you're doing, because some of these companies also have national impact. Maybe there'll be a way to all the ranking companies and so, and analysts, maybe they will hire security experts to also look at the security posture and rank a stock of a company and the risk of a company yes. also is so your risk is not just your business risk. Security cybersecurity risk is part of your business risk yes. this day. So I yeah. think the good news for us in the industry that it finally elevates it into folding it into the total business risk and, and business reward, right? Yep. Which we all wanted. We all said that cybersecurity needs to be part of the business. I yes. think finally it's being acknowledged. Yes. Now it's it's gonna be interesting how much the market will take on, will understand. It will take time for this to actually be folded into the valuation of a company. I think it will f- come in really fast in the valuation, especially in healthcare. Speaking of systemic failures, healthcare right now in this country has the most systemic failures because they're using Epic, they're running on-prem, they're, they're doing s- stuff that unless they're forced to innovate or elevate, they'll continue doing the worst possible thing until somebody... Well, and they have a ton of... That, that's why keeping data so ne- needs ne- to be protected yeah, so that will doing bad job doing trying yeah. maybe the best that uh-huh. that will force at least a lot of the healthcare companies to have a come to jesus moment and understand that now everybody sees that the emperor has no clothes so well, they'll they need hit with so much ransomware yeah. for the last few years the, this is the driver for this ruling so that is the first step that kind of reporting the boring part. 
Now comes the the thing that got CISOs breathing into paper cups or <laughs> uh, or paper bags. Yeah. So the rule was that if a major incident has happened and you can take as long as you want to decide that what's it's reasonable what no it that, it's, that, it's, that, that it's a major that it's a major that it's a that has a major impact on the on your business yeah but if a major something happened to your business through due to a security breach you have to report it in four days now it used to be that or, no, no, or no. the time wasn't defined in the, the time past. Wa- the time wasn't defined that's a new thing now it's uh, four days and also there was another thing people used to hide behind the law enforcement especially when ransomware ha- hit people would say no 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 law enforcement told me not to disclose this so originally by the way and that thing scared the shit out of the market the what happened was that they said we don't care about law enforcement law enforcement can say whatever they want but even if it's an, an active investigation you report and the DOJ stepped in and the DOJ said you know what you Here's the exception process. You need to hit the attorney general. So it, it's, this is going to be a – the first one of these I, I want to get popcorn and watch because this is going to be an interesting discussion. They said that you need to go to appeal to the attorney general that this is a case of national security or it's, a, a, it's something that's significant for law enforcement. More likely than not, I think – From the history of breaches I saw in my career, I think I've seen four of those that yeah. actually impact. I mean maybe the incident that Microsoft now has with like the, the officials in the US the, being breached that's a national security one. The Microsoft one is one. the Aurora one with Google is another. RSA breach of course yeah but those are the only three that I, that are top of mind for me by the way, feel free to leave something in the comments if you think that A known breach was of national security impact. I mean, maybe DNC hack. Maybe. No, no. Who cares about what politicians have to say? So, the, but that kind of gives, it will, now it basically states that thou shall report. And this will put to light a lot of the breaches. And also it's going to be, I think, it's actually going to have a, An adverse effect on the industry I think it's going to have a very bad adverse impact on the industry because what will happen is a lot of public companies will hire a lot of non-public companies to run some of their security infrastructure and the breaches will happen in the non so if you think of what rumor has it I don't know the details I don't claim to know the details but the rumor of the octa breach the first one, Was that the third party got breached, and part of their reporting problem was the fact that the third party and their contract was a problem. This is going I, I want to see the first one of these happening. I don't think that companies can hide be- behind a supply chain thing. Oh, oh it's my vendor that got breached. I guess if it impacts your own customer data or significant things, probably I mean. We can see it in court, I guess that that will come to exactly to, those things will come to courts soon exactly so my assumption is all public companies will now start requiring all the vendors, even if they're private, 
to disclose it as well because the supply chain will impact them. I mean, they have the impact. Like, how can a company, like, like you say, Okta, they will be fine. They will have consequences because of this small vendor that didn't disclose and didn't tell them. I don't think it's going to fly. I think very soon the standard legally may become that the smaller vendors that have public vendors will de facto disclose just because of otherwise they'll get out of business, be fine themselves, need to pay companies that public companies for not disclosing. So that will be interesting. This will be. This I, I think we're gonna go into a world of more transparency because of that. Because usually, when you have like those, it's it's everywhere. When you have those kind of standards for the public market, then the those larger companies that think of becoming public soon will start also reinforcing it. The public companies will ask all the vendors to enforce this. So it will take time but it might become a thing in the market, at least for those bigger players. Yes. I think mainly it's going to really help some of the compliance vendors. So if the compliance vendor market was between Drata, Vanta, TrustCloud, and the rest of them was crowded, now they basically opened up the field because I'm guessing that everybody's now racing to do a more effective reporting. And Stravish is desire of just-in-time reporting will have to happen because what used to happen, if you remember when we were describing this, it's that everybody needs to run a report, then run and chase that report and manually chase the report and do a whole bunch of stuff around it. People will need to start be able to answer these questions quickly because a lot of the aspect is not just were you breached, but how, what was the blast radius? And that's something that nobody wants to talk about. Discovering the blast radius will be the focus of a lot of security companies, my guess, us as well. I'm thinking that a lot of companies will start to understand that they need to investigate. If the the CISO was hit or the CFO was hit, what could he have done? What happened? Who is impacted? What's impacted? What could he have done? Because sometimes you don't have evidence of what he has done. But you need to have... He is the hacker, yes. the attacker. Yes. But you have to ask yourself, if somebody took over the CFO's account, what could have they have done? And then report through that. Yep. And that's going to be a very big game changer, at least in my view. So, compliance, very boring, but I think it's going to drive a lot of work for the industry, yep. at least in the near future. And I think more likely than not, it will probably percolate globally into more transparency globally because this is something that a lot of companies that are international will have to think i think a lot of focus will go into this area of incidents investigation yep ability to report clearly a lot of those abilities to pull the data fast put clear story of what have happened and as you said what could have happened like if it is the CFO machine, let's get as fast as possible. What did he touch? What he could touch? What does he have access to? Or what are the possibilities? You need to be able to get all this data instantaneously, yep. which is, we talked about legacy tools, 
not able to do it today yep. with what you have. You have a lot of people needing to go pull logs from different places and stitch them together. So I think there is a lot of opportunity in this area of incident investigation, uh, as you will need to know immediately. Yep. And then your ability to respond, remediate, close the issue, be able to say to the stock exchange market, yes, that happened, but we're clear, risk is contained, be able to put a dollar mark of what was the risk, what was the impact, and be able to move on. Uh-huh. Yep. I think the more companies will be able to do it, the better we're all going to be. Yeah, and I think it will help kind of expose or at least have a discussion of more systemic failures because then people will start to be asked, why are you using an older tool? Why are you using a non-acceptable tool? Why are you using... Why are you doing your user access reviews through an Excel spreadsheet versus an automated way? People will start asking those questions. And there will be, an, an, at least I hope, there will be more responsible security spends rather than right now if your CISO is charming and, emo- and kind of is able to get the budget, he gets budget. If, and if he looks more like a CPA, he doesn't get budget. Sometimes the CPA actually gets it right. So, I also like the fact that there's going to be transparency and ability potentially for people to, to from the external world to judge and, and see what's going on in, in-house. Like, I'm, I'm thinking of the equivalent. If I'm going to choose a clinic to come do my fertility treatments, today you can see most of them report the outcomes. success rate, outcomes. Yes, that's, a, that's discussed in the last episode. How many babies are actually delivered in this clinic out of procedures they're doing? That's one way of looking at it. But nobody is reporting of how many doctors, nurses, people you have in working there. What is, do you have an anesthesiologist in place? What are the, the anesthesia what's procedures? The, what's the procedure? Like, what's the procedure? Seriously, I mean, I don't think being after this myself, I was not informed. I did not know enough about it. And well, maybe you I were should out. Well, you were out. Oh, I was completely out for sure. Knocked down and I had a wonderful anesthesiologist in the room for sure, which should be. But I didn't know what's the protocol. We all need to be more informed. So I'm thinking about it. Having this area where in the filing of a company, the posture will be disclosed. Maybe they will put a little bit more. The fact that people from the external world would be able to scrutinize Ask questions. Yep. Maybe we'll be in a point that when there is the quarterly investor call, some may ask about the risk, security risk, how they handle stuff. Like those are things that should be asked. I agree. Especially if you are holding all the world's data. If you're a Facebook and you're a Google, and like, what what are those risks? Who is asking them about that? I'm wondering um, if I'm wondering if they're gonna have analysts that will just open the role for in the analyst companies. Yes, that's what I'm saying. I, I want to see yep. cybersecurity experts starting to work at analyst firm and investor banks and being able to scrutinize and ask questions 
I think it would be great. I think you'll be great for the job. Thank you. Well, let's advocate for that. Yes, <laughs> I don't exactly. I'm making it up a new job. Yes. Uh, excellent. Well, anything else we want to cover? Or we th- I, think I, think, I think we beat that horse to death. Absolutely. Listen to this podcast. Great yes. job by the guys over there. Well, thank you, everyone. We hope to see you soon. The Didi and Lital Show is a weekly podcast. If you like us, rate and review us wherever you get it, your podcast. And with that, thanks, Didi. Thanks, Lital. See you soon. See you soon.